This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks very much for joining me. I've got a special guest on this episode of the show. It is Dave Matrice from Jungle Rod. Now, the catalyst for the conversation initially, at the very least, was an Australian tour. A tour had been booked, and you'll find out why that tour has been cancelled throughout the episode, so I won't mention it in the introduction here. But Dave and I, we kept in touch since late last year, and lo and behold, the conversation came to fruition. I'm very grateful for that, because Dave's one of those guys that I've been looking forward to having a chat with for a long time. He'd been on my bucket list, an extensive bucket list that I have, and I'm gradually ticking off all of these excellent musicians. Dave's a great example. Before we kick into the chat, if you're listening via the podcast apps, you'll hear a burning cinder. Unfortunately, all of you people on YouTube, you know the drill, I can't play music on YouTube lest I get the episode removed and taken down in the copyright strike. So here it is, a burning cinder. If you're listening via the podcast apps and all you YouTubers, let's get into the conversation right now. Let's go.
How you going? Hey, Art, can you hear me? I can, mate. Yeah, loud and clear. Good, <laughs> Thanks good for joining morning. me. Yeah, good morning. What is it, 5.30? 5.30 on a Saturday morning, mate. It's a good time to uh, be doing this sort of thing. Great to be alive and doing it. <laughs> good. I'm usually up by 5.30 every morning anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do, you, what do you do apart from uh, play brutal, enthralling, brutal death metal? What takes up most of your time for doing that? Uh, I'm in a hunting field, a hunting trade. Work on farms and I take people out hunting at the off time. Is that right? Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So, were you born and raised in Kenosha? Yes, correct. Yep. Yeah. I live in your... the county. I moved, I moved probably about a half hour, 45 minutes from the city out in the county, built the house. Uh huh. Now, did your family have anything to do with American Motors? Um, one of my uncles did, yeah. You know about American Motors, huh? Yeah, that was uh, at one time when I was little. That's where all the work was coming from, man. Yeah, there, that was you know two twenty five hundred, three thousand people at any given time. You know. Yeah, they were they they actually had a presence here in Australia under their old well, okay. moniker of Ram- Rambler. So you, yeah, yeah, to- I know the Rambler. I used to have an AMX. Remember the AMX? I love them. Yeah, gosh yeah, almighty, you had an AMX, so the old Javelin. I had two javelins. That's the full body. Then I had the, the actual AMX is the two seaters. Oh yeah, the Donahue's. I don't know if you know the Donahue edition. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> what what color was it? Uh, black with the side pipes. Yeah, oh it was two seater posi. Yeah, three ninety posi. I remember one of my uh, uh, what you would call javelins had a four one in it. I ended up having a four one in one of those. Yeah, they were the big cars, man. Back if you know now you finally see those uh, AMC's finally worth money. You know everything else was more money back then. You know Chevelle always held more, Mustangs always held more. It always seems like AMC was the lowest, but now they're finally up there in top dollars for collectors, man. If you could find them, <laughs> you're not wrong. Yeah, see my my dream car is an SC three sixty, the Hornet. Oh yeah, if, if I, I could get a hold, of, yeah, if I could get a hold of one of them, but um, the SC slash Rambler, the Hurst, yeah. that's another one. Remember, remember the Gremlin, the Gremlin, remember that one? Yeah, the Gremlin, Gremlin never made it here to Australia, and and I always the Pacer and the Gremlin, the shape was always a bit polarizing, wasn't the it? Pacer, <laughs> the Pacer, <laughs> the So the, the AMX bowl. actually made it there. You actually had AMXs there in in Australia then. 
you had so they they imported them as complete knockdown kits, okay, and then they were made okay. down in Melbourne. So they and they are under the Rambler brand. So I think cool. a lot of enthusiasts went and rebadged their Ramblers as AMXs, and I I, I could be wrong, but I think in 1969 or 1970 they did actually bring out the AMX. So they did it for one year or maybe two years or thereabouts. But you, you'll find, if you go online, you can see this stuff, but there's a lot of uh, enthusiasts still for the brand. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you can tell yeah, like, I'm one of them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I would have never thought that. I didn't know that, man. That's pretty pretty interesting. I learned something today. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there you go. So, well, look, th- thanks for doing this. Thanks for agreeing to have a chat. And, and I've got to say, I was, I was really disappointed when it, it turned out that you guys weren't coming down. So can you shed any light on yeah. what happened? Well, basically, it came down to the sales. The sales weren't there, man. I mean, that's, you know, uh. Anthony thought it was a good move to pull it. You might as well pull it. And we're going to try to reschedule it again for next spring, April, May, you know. Me, personally, you know, we've never been there. I don't think we're a headliner, man. I, I was trying to hopefully get a big package together to make it work, but he's trying to push us as a headliner, and we ran into ticket issues, you know. But we hope that we come back. He's working on something for April, May next year, and we hope maybe it'll be a better package to get us over there. That's an interesting point about the status of a headliner or whether you come out as part of a package or what have you. Yeah, see, I, I've known about you since I read an edition of SOD magazine back in 97 or 98. Oh, yeah, sounds death. Exactly. Sure, yeah. Dave Horn. <laughs> there you go. There you go, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you're in an edition that also featured more. We never been over. We never. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we never been over there, you know, on tour, so. It's kind of hard to establish self where you're at, you know, in a career when you start, I guess. I, I don't, but, you know, I was kind of against the idea in the beginning to try to put a better package together because I was worried about this and it happened. We tried and uh, we're going to try to redo it again. That's the best thing. Look, you're not the only ones. There's uh, Unsane have just cancelled as well. Look, they're all citing costs of touring per COVID. Now, I oh, get yeah. that's, I get that might be a factor, but I think, thank you for being frank about it too, by the way, insofar as the reason for, mm-hmm. for why you weren't able to come out. But I think that Unsane and some of these other groups, they, these, I'm sure that the bloke who's bringing you out is a, is a credible businessman who's got his shit together and all of this sort of stuff, but it's a bit of a cottage industry at the moment, bringing bands into Australia from the United States and Europe yeah. as well. And uh, look, you know, everything was smashed apart during COVID, as you well know, and things are now being reestablished and there might just be an issue of saturation, market saturation as well. Yeah, I'm not, I think it's a combination of both, man, for real, man, because you know, we're getting ready to do a European tour here in the next three weeks, man. And, you know, I'm really nervous about this tour because we're actually starting out in the red already. I mean, I mean, that's not a good thing. I mean, but we're going to try, we'll make it up in the, with the merch, we hope. And, you know, we come back and we break even or, you know, I, I got to pay the guys out something. But everything has been up. Our plane tickets from usually going over to Europe, they're, you know, they're $300 more. So now you're looking at, you know, three, six, nine, twelve hundred bucks more on top of that. I mean, it just, it just, everything is added up. And in, in the end, it's just, you're over cost, man. I mean, but we can't afford to cancel a tour right now. And we're going to make the best of it. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're going to take a loss, but I don't think there'll be much for payout on this next run. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, I, I just hope it all happens with Australia, but you were able to go on 70,000 tons of metal this year. So mm-hmm. how was that? That was great. That was our second time. Um, being there and he invited us back and uh, 
you know, it was a great time. It's always a good time. You see a lot of people and, you know, it's just a fun, no stress show. You know, it's pretty relaxing. <laughs> I mean, we did pretty good this year. I mean, we enjoyed ourselves a lot. <laughs> How is it? So you're on the boat. You're not in a separate area to the fans, are you? You're having dinner and everything else with the fans as well? Yeah, yeah. That's what makes it so cool, man. That's what, you know, it's like one big family like metal is, you know, that you really are one big family. You know, it's really neat, man. Yeah, yeah, very, very true, very true. So, just in regards to you, you, your career, look, you're, you're 11 albums in. Which era or album would you say would be your favorite and the one that you'd show to people if they were unfamiliar with Jungle Rock? Uh, I think uh, the, the self titled, you know, I really like that one. I think that one came out well. You know, we got the most, seemed like we started climbing each every year. We climbed, climbed, climbed more, but it seemed like that one took off the launch the most. You know, we toured the most on that one. It just seems like that one got the most, you know, reaction from anything. And I think it's a good one to start out as, you know, and then you can always catch up with the other ones. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Just just talking about the the touring side again, what, what are your thoughts now? It's it's almost a decade on from Mayhem Fest, of course. And now you and uh you know, there were some, some things that were written about that online, etc. Kerry King had some things to say. What are your thoughts well, about that now a decade on? You know, I really don't have a thought on it. You know, he spoke his opinion. I spoke mine. I can't remember what it really was, but I think he was cutting up on some bands on the side stage. And I said my thing and he said his thing. And it is what it is, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, I usually it's a... don't like try to get in and too much dirt. <laughs> I'm not a dirt talking guy, you know. That was just kind of like in the heat in the moment we're on tour. They were kind of doing interviews and this. And every night I had a lot of press every night. And, I remember he was running his mouth for weeks before that, and I think I just couldn't take it. And the interview was at the wrong right time, I guess, and I voiced my opinion. <laughs> oh, I, re- I read your commentary just in preparation for our chat here, and um, I think you're on point back then insofar as he had an opportunity, I think, to support the bands that were on the bill, but instead he chose to shit on some of the bands. And th- there are other factors, obviously, at play outside of which bands are on the bill that might lead to um, some uh, those lack of ticket sales or whatever it was that might have been the issue at the time. But, um, look, if you're not going to support bands, don't just don't say anything then if you can't get yeah. into a position because it's very easy. You're in Slayer. You're a guarantee. It's just one of those bands like Metallica or what have you, and you can play in bloody Greenland or what have you, and you're going to draw a crowd just because of the cachet and you've been around for that long and you're just one of the lucky ones, let's face it. But, um, yeah, I thought you handled yourself very well, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he was, <laughs> uh, from what I remember, man, he's just bluntly was saying I wouldn't come to the fest either, you know, and the fest is we're still touring, you know, and we're trying to make money and just weird how he was just saying they're running bad mouth on the tour as it was going, you know, it should, should have never been done. It should have been waited till it was over, you know, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, but the other thing is, look, you're one of the, in my opinion, you're one of the last underground acts to emerge from the '90s to achieve serious recognition. And uh, mm-hmm. look, as I said, I found out about you guys through SOD magazine. And uh, but you are at a point now. I talk about slaving able to playing Greenland or really anywhere and pull a crowd. But you're also one of those bands. If you're a metal fan, you you know about. You know about uh, jungle rot. So, was you, you've already mentioned the self-titled album there? But was that the was that the episode or the epoch in the band's career where you realised, hang on a sec, we might actually be doing this as a career? Um, 
No, I think I've been doing it for career for way before that, man. I just, you know, I think if anything, it just kept us going for the right, the next album, you know, cause you never want to go backwards. You always want to go forward. And I just think we always look at climbing that ladder on this last one. We still see that we're getting better opportunities at festivals and exposure still coming. So we're still climbing that ladder in our career, man. You know, the thing with John around, what I think is, you know, we, we came out a little bit too late when the greats came out, we came out in 95 and I think, you know, the timing wasn't right for us. And, you know, the heavyweights got signed and are still here today. You know, I've always told everybody in this industry, no one's really going to try to rise up to the next level until the heavyweights go away. And I don't see them ever going away ever, man. So I'm going to be stuck where I'm at forever. I think the next, you know, maybe in 10 years, these next generations like Frozen Soul and 200 Stab Wounds, they might be the next headliners of today, you know? Yeah, me and you. Yeah. Because eventually these guys are going to get old like me and we're going to fade away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a. I, I got to say, I, I never thought of death metal as being something that would continue. I'm in my mid forties, and where yeah. even Trey from Morbid Angel is pushing sixty now, and yeah. got grey hair, grey hair, and it's it's not that it's weird to see it over you. Of course, it's a completely natural thing. We age, we get older, we advance in our life. But to to know that death metal, in a way, it's um, I used to say it was dad's music, but I'm sure you got pl- plenty of grandparents at your gigs, if you know what I'm saying. People in the well into mm-hmm. their fifties and sixties. Yeah, I mean, it, we, it's cool. Like seeing that, I like seeing it when they come with their kids, the next generation, you know. And we, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen that wave come out our generation, the next generation. Now we're actually on the third generation, that generation. So it's, it's kind of, you know, that's one of the good things about touring too. When we tour, we, you know, we've been seeing the same fans for years. They come out and support us, and we, you know, we know their kids when they're yellow and they grow up. We see it all happen. It's pretty, pretty neat, man. Mm. Hey, what's the biggest challenge or obstacle you've had to overcome throughout your career? Not sure, man. The biggest obstacle would be somehow just trying to keep this band going. You know, it's amazing I keep it going. It's an every day. It's an obstacle just trying to keep it going. And, you know, I live it seven days a week, you know, 24 hours a day, but not too much. You know, I, you know, just keeping the guys together, the band, you know, that's the most important thing is keeping it fun and keeping us together, the core, you know, that's the hardest thing. I've always said, uh, you know, in music, the most special thing is finding the two or three or four guys that shame that same dream and want to share it together, you know, and that's very hard to do. Have you had uh, personnel issues within the band where you've had to act as, when I say the manager, you know, you've had to manage personalities and issues and that sort of thing, or is it, or has it been more of a case of, you know, you're either on the bus or you're off the bus? Um I think it's you're on the bus or you're off the bus pretty much, man. Yeah. Because the wheels yeah. are always rolling, you know, we, we got, we don't have time for bullshit, you know, I mean, we got to keep going forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much you're on or you're off. I like the way you put it. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you still got those four by twelves, those uh, speaker cabinets that have the band name in Boston to the side? Oh of yeah. The Vaders. Yeah. We got them. The Vaders. Yeah. I love Vader cabinets, man. Yeah. That was a treat, man. We end up doing, you know, I don't, uh, Adam for quite a long time, man. He's uh, from Wisconsin, where I'm from, but about five hours away. And uh, he always told me, you know, you, you know, you got to try these cabinets, you know. And you know, we want to endorse you. You know, we wanted to do it. And I remember talking to him at a fest. I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, I like my Marshall, I like my Celestians. I remember him telling me, you know, do you actually think, you know, that's the best speaker out there? You know, with the technology today and this and that. I'm like, well, you're probably right, man. Well, he ended up supplying the backline for that festival. 
and we end up using it. And I was like, yeah, they're pretty good, man. You, you know, they're hot sounding. Well, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do a deal, man. So we did a deal with them. And then I remember I had no idea those were even going to look like that, man. They just showed up and it was like, oh my God, you know, it was like, we won, we won, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was, at that time it was like the Orange County of cabinets. I don't know if you were like Orange County choppers, you know, it was all customizing mm-hmm. and it was unbelievable. He was the first company to customize cabinets, you know, and it was amazing how they turned out. I wish I had one in the room here. I'd, I'd pan them around and show you, but they're in the trailer packed away. <laughs> so they're still going. They're not banged oh, up yeah. or beaten up from on the road. No, no. We put covers on them. I made like old, you know, like the original covers from like Marshall cabinets. I went to the music store and got them cardboard boxes that he shipped them. And I just cut the bottom and slide them right over. And they got like little cabinets covers that go over them. Yeah. Yeah, they're perfectly perfect. <laughs> Epic. Yeah, I always remember that. I remember you guys doing a video on that a decade ago, whenever it was. That, and, uh, and I'm thinking, yeah. wow, why aren't more bands doing this? Because that is so cool. Yeah, they, they really launched him, man. I mean, because like I said, he was the first to do that. And, and when I when they showed up, when I got those, I man, I can't. I, I remember I was like, oh my god, you know, we win <laughs> for once, we win. <laughs> <laughs> Still this day, every time we go out playing with them, somebody says something when they see them. How can you not? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hey, what well, are your we thoughts? Use them, we, we use yeah. them all the time, man. And you know, and you know, I love Vader cabinets. People that know when they they use them, they know that sound. And when I do festivals and use other cabinets, I could tell that difference. I wish I had my cab, you know, because I can. I could tell they're just a little brighter and hotter what we are. You know, we're a little brighter band, you know, meteor band, and that's what those cabinets are, more mid. I was going to say, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. You guys are like a mid. Your strengths are definitely in the mids. You're like the reverse Pantera with regards to your sound. You haven't scooped the sound. Exactly. Well, that's funny you say it because when I went to school, I remember when kids went to, you know, when we had the EQs in the cars and stuff, man, and they always used to set them like this. Remember, they were like this. I was always the difference. I was like this, man, you know, because – you know, or you know what I'm saying? They, they did them like yeah, this, and we did the inverse pyramid. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, till this day, you know, I'm still. If I was to mix something, it'd be like that. You know, all mids. I mean, yeah, same here. I've been yelled at in bands before about that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm a bassist, as you can probably tell. I used to have a Sun oh, yeah. amplifier that had a graphic equalizer on it, and uh, I'd come in after a break or whatever, and I'd, I'd have it like that too, but it'd be like that. Yeah. The drummer or whoever had mixed it, and I'd say, "Oh my god!" Because it would just be bass then, and then with the guitar, I was playing in pop and rock bands, right? So it wasn't metal bands, but uh, mm. I'm thinking, oh, I can't hear myself. You know, I need to be able to hear, but um, not so much, especially with a five string. Not so much of an issue these days. Uh, oh yeah, yeah there, there's actual a real special hidden talent, man, that I really don't tell too many people. A lot of musicians know about it. We use those dual rectifier mesas, man, and, mm. you know, we turn the mid, we turn the treble all the way off, and we turn the mids all the way up, and the bass all the way up, and there's something in there when you turn the treble all the way off. It's like a completely different amp, man. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we crank the bass all the way, the mids all the way, and treble all the way off. That's how pretty much how we set our mesas, man. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether this is a wives' tale or not, but I remember I think Steve Harris or I think it was Steve Harris, as I say, I think this could be a wives' tale or it could be true. So work with me. You want to share this tale. But uh, <laughs> there was some sort of a fan meet and greet thing where you could go on stage during the pre-show and you could play Steve's bass, this sort wow. of thing. <laughs> and um, 
and and it turned out most of the people who got up there, they didn't. They well, what's going on? I don't sound like you whatsoever, but it's all in here too. It's all the way you do oh, this thing. The way the way you obviously play, you've just found yeah. the sonic equivalent that the sonic um, match that brings out the real mm-hmm. color in your playing, courtesy of the way in which you're picking. Absolutely, it's all in the control. That's anybody can play it, and they'd be like, "What the hell?" But yeah, I think that's how you establish your sound is by your technique of playing, and then eventually you find your sound that that highlights your playing the best, I guess, right? And that's how that is. I mean, the mids are, you know, we're a real tight band. That's what we are, man. Everything comes through perfect, you know. Yeah, you are. You're right. Yeah, the the, the YouTube clips show that. Actually, the fan film YouTube clips show how tight you guys are. Hmm. It's brutal. Yeah. What about just going back in time again? Um, a lot has been written about that fella, Tony Brummel from Victory Records. But what was what was your experience with him like? Uh, with Tony, I had a great relationship with Tony. I mean, being with Victory were some of the best times of my career. And, you know, the label was totally into us. I mean, they wanted us to succeed. I mean, he did anything for me, but he had a bad name, you know. And there's a lot of people in the industry that had a bad name, but he's never done nothing to us wrong. And he's pushed a band to the max that he possibly could, you know, when we we're with him. Okay, go ahead. I just had to grab some water. Yeah, no worries at all. Yeah, so, he uh, had some of the best times, you know, that was when we signed on to that label and the first thing, he had a staff of people around. 40 people at the time. I mean, it was a real label, you know, we, we were freaking out, you know, the first time we we're actually on a real label, but you mm-hmm. know, he was a well-oiled machine back then. And then as we got to the end of our career, filling our contract out, you can see, you would get into the bottom. You can see that he had a lot of financial issues, obviously that folded the label. Mm. Yeah. There's, uh, is it Hawthorne Heights, the band on Thursday, or I was ages ago, I read the Reddit threads and the like, and then I sort of dived into a little bit of it last night you know, in preparation for our chat. But look, you could probably pick up almost any record label and uh, especially a, a boutique one like what he he was running. And mm-hmm. there's going to be idiosyncrasies about the person running it. So I don't think he was unique in that regard. He's just the only person where some of that insight has been, been shed or shared uh, courtesy mm-hmm. of some of the bands that are on the label. But it's interesting that he was, he was into you guys because you guys are a bit different for him. I think, yeah, yeah, I think was... when we grew up, we grew up in Chicago, so I kind of knew him from that, you know. I mean, we knew him from the scene, and you know, he was always a fan of the band, you know. And you know, to this to this day, we can remember anytime we played the city or anything, Tony would be at the show, man. I mean, he was he'd be in the pit, you know. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Half the time, he'd be thrown out of the show. He would be thrown out. They'd get him thrown out. That's how nuts <laughs> he was. I mean, yeah, multiple times, man. I mean, the guy was in, I mean, it was great. I mean, that's, in our sense, that's what you kind of want is a, you know, a boss like that that's, you know, he's in the pit for us, man. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. There's another side of of the, uh, of Tony Brummel. I'd love to have a chat with him actually and just get him to, I I doubt he'd do it, but I'd love him to just share his story. And um, he's got a lot of stories. Yeah, he's been yeah. through it all. He's a self-made man. You know, he started that label from nothing. You know, a lot of people talk bad about him. You know, everybody's had their experience, good or bad, but I can't say anything bad. He's, you know, like I said, some of the best times in my career with that label, and he did anything for me, you know, whatever. That was the reason why we signed to him because, you know, we come off another label. I think we were off of Napalm. We did a one album deal with Napalm. And, you know, back then, you know, you're releasing 20 to 30 bands at a month. 
two, three would get by only, and then the rest would just fade out. You know, with victory, we were the only death metal band, so it was all priority. You know, that we we knew that going into it, so everything was just us. That we, we liked that. <laughs> I mean, we weren't competing against anybody. You know. No, no, it's, that, that was definitely the case. Yeah, and, and and you guys also had something to do with Jamie Jaster when he was first starting out. Doing yeah, he put out stuff. our first first release. Yep, he did our first one. Yep, yeah, for demo, Pure Death Records. He put that out. I actually be seeing him pretty soon because we're doing the Milwaukee Metal Fest coming up in another week. He put. I don't know if you heard. He's doing the Milwaukee Metal Fest. If you ever hear that, when he's bringing it back, so we're, we're excited to play that and see him. Talk about some old times. Yeah, he's a machine, Jamie. He's been doing it now for so long, hasn't he? And he just, uh, I think he understands what this is all about, what death metal mm-hmm. and extreme metal is all about. Yeah, he does a lot for, for you know, the industry and music, period, man. He's a great spokesperson and he's he's true metal. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. Definitely. He lost his roots, man. He never lost his roots. <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bit of a left turn here. I was just talking to Blitz the other night. Blitz from Overkill, that is about these sort of topics, but political and social issues and the like. Do you, do you have an interest in um, in politics at all? I stay away from it, man. I got too much time to worry about myself and keeping myself healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, well, I mean, we live in an era where anything that goes on in any part of the globe can be amplified a million yeah. times over, courtesy of social media and well, that's the platform, really, isn't it? The internet and as a consequence, social media. But uh, yeah, we we do definitely live in interesting times, I think. And uh, I think in the run up to two thousand and twenty four, with the United States, uh, the presidential election there, I, 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 last week is when you started to see. I call it silly season when the when because Trump being interviewed, and uh, I'm just saying that CNN, of course, have tried to give him a bit of a tried to get him a gotcha situation but i think he turned the tables quite a bit on them there and uh so here we are we're, we're going back into a uh the presidential lead-up so i just wanted to uh oh, i was just interested if you had a perspective on things that was all yeah just kind of i worked over the last few years man that uh you got to watch what you say man that's for damn sure it divided a lot of people and i don't i don't want to keep it going i just want to and no, it. that's fair enough. Yeah, but isn't it isn't it interesting that that fans uh, like uh, I'm definitely not left wing at all, right? But a lot of my favourite bands are Faith No More, Dead Kennedys, this sort of thing, and they're all lefties, yeah. right? But I, I could always go. That's that's a separate thing. Their political views and the views that they have on social issues and the like is completely separate to my absolute appreciation for their music and even some of their lyrical content. But a lot of fans get caught up in this thing, and they. Uh, and they uh, the, the polarization, if you like, they buy into that, and they can't be fans of a band if they have a whole different political perspective. Yeah, I just i I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can say. I do say one thing: I'm pro guns. That's that's just, that can lead you anywhere. I am pro gun rights. I mean, I make a living with guns, so there's a flip side to all this. You know, there's a lot of people that make a living like myself off of guns, and I'm one of the persons, man. I mean. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's a very misunderstood aspect of American culture, I think, globally speaking, because it's the first thing you hear a lot of these idiots belt the United States about is, oh, you've got to ban guns, you've got to stop guns. It's, and, of course, they try to make it a, a binary issue, which mm-hmm. is ban guns or, or keep guns or or what have you. And uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's something about that frontier culture of the United States, of course, and you also had a civil war as well. So you've got a lot of this legacy, if you like, this uh, mm-hmm. right to bear arms, if you like, and I think it's a very admirable aspect of your culture. Yeah, it, it is. We're never going to let it go. <laughs> I mean, it's something that we fight for every day. It's on, you know, every day it's a battle to keep them rights, but we're never going to let them go, man. <laughs> I mean, no. Yeah. What would you what would you say to somebody who was looking to get into firearms? Where do you think they should start? What was that again? If someone was right. someone like someone, what sort of dog have you got there, actually? I have four labs, four labs. They, they work for yeah. when I do the hunting, the guiding, I train them. And yeah, they're all Labradors. I got two blacks and two yellows. OK, gotcha. Yeah. I was just mm-hmm. asking in, in regards to someone someone like myself who doesn't have uh, any background. Well, I mean, I was in the cadets as a kid, right? So I learned how to use a three hundred eight. I think I was using back then. That's a but, great caliber. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of my second gun. favorite. Second favorite. I love a three hundred eight. Oh, really? Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Two, well, two, two, three would be my first favorite. I that's I like that. So how do you, a bit like a guitar? You know, you have a preference for a guitar and cabinets, as we've discussed. How, how do you? What, what was the journey to developing a preference with a firearm? Is it just the way it feels when you shoot it? It just feels right. Yeah, when you bring when you bring it up, you know, when you bring it up, it's like it would be like a guitar, like you said, feeling the neck. When you bring it up, it's just right there, you know. It just fitted. You know, there's nothing better than anything. Something fitted for you know, you know, you know. When you bring it up, it's true, you know. Mm. I mean, yeah, you don't want yeah. to be pushing too far out, you know, where it's too far out. You want it right in there. You know, there, a fitted gun goes a long way. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. If, for you, uh, with uh, use of firearms, is it the thrill of the chase? Is that is that the thing? Is that the yeah, thing? Not, the about the, not about the kill at all, man. That's, that's the least of it. I sell the dream memories. You know, I give them that, you know. I mean, just, you know, the harvest is just a bonus on top of it, but the memories last forever, you know. Yeah, Joe Rogan's a huge hunting fan and does a lot of hunting himself. Oh, yeah. You should go on that show. You'd be great. I would it? love to. I I remember when he first just started getting into it. Now he's just he's a pro. Now he's full blown. He's definitely got the fever. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's really into it. He's really yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have Have you ever had a situation where you've been in Europe or even in? Uh, I mentioned you haven't been to Australia yet, but Europe, especially, there are a lot of uh, a lot of views in Europe are anti-gun that sort of thing. Have any fans tried to have a conversation with you about that sort of thing? I try to. I bring it up quite a bit, man, because I think it's inter- interesting to me. You know, last time we did a festival, and uh, where was it? We're in Mexico doing. Uh, one of the big festivals. I was hanging out with Sodom, Tom from Sodom, and uh, mm. Martin from the Fixiate, and we started talking. Tom's a big hunter, and Tom, I'm a big hunter, so we always talking about hunting. And you know, it's different how he's from Germany; he's allowed to have guns, and then Martin's from Netherlands. There's no way they can have guns. You know, to be in prison. You know, it's just weird how from different country it, it's, it's it's strange. And I don't want the U.S. to be like that. Wisconsin, you can have them. Illinois, you can't. It's just weird how that you know. But you hear the stories of their history when you talk about it, and they remember when they had to turn their guns in, and you hear about that, and it's it's a it's a nightmare to me. It's a horror story <laughs> when I hear that. You know, I mean, yeah, we had to. Australia had to gun gun amnesty in 1996 after the Port Arthur massacre. The fucking psychopath decided that he wanted to blow up families down there <laughs> in Tasmania, and. Um, I think people, I certainly know that a lot of the Democrats and the anti-gun people in the United States bring that up, but I think they've got that completely wrong. It was an amnesty over unlicensed gun ownership. 
Okay, that's really what that was about. And uh, I, I don't think anybody is, uh, well, well, certainly no, nobody on a political platform is advocating in the United States this is uh, for uh, gun ownership without a licence. I think that's very important. But um, the whole idea that um, that we in Australia here went through this amnesty, um, it's it's... It's a situation, I think, that not that we would do something differently again. I think it was the right thing to do, but we don't have we don't have a frontier culture in Australia. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy for us to give up our guns and not really lose anything, if you like. And the other thing too is if I wanted to go, if I want to go and um we don't necessarily we don't have the livestock, if you like. I don't know. We don't we we have uh, you know, we've got a lot of stakes and that sort of thing, but you're not gonna shoot yeah. them. But you we got don't the stakes, really... right? Red stag, uh, we got stakes or what do you got there? Um, yeah, you, you, depending on where you live, uh, you know, okay. the United States, it's really like the United That's States. That's how it is here. That's how it is here, too. The more north you get, the more game you get into. Yeah. New Zealand have got a lot of um, elk, I think. I think they've got an elk issue mm-hmm. there. And, and I know he, I know as soon as you, when you get into um, regional New South Wales and parts of Victoria, there's um, too many horses, too many wild brumbies. Oh, yeah. So they they cull them from time to time, but I think that's a government thing that does that. I think they they hire people, obviously. Yeah, we have that. we have an issue with that here too because they run wild in the west, and they you know, and then they interfere with the wildlife of the elk and stuff, and the kid elk can't feed, and they're taking the feed. You know, actually, the horse is the king of the the king out there of all of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have a wild horse problem as well. They've been trapping them and stuff as well. Pigs, the big issue here in Queensland is really? people go pigging. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have them here, man. In Wisconsin, we don't. If we, if we see pharaohs, we're allowed to shoot them all year. But Texas, other states, it's out of control. You can't shoot enough of them. I mean, they're, you know, the damage that they do every day is, you know, you can never get back. <laughs> yeah, you, you get a lot of the, the greeny types. Around where I'm here, you get cane toads as well. They're absolute mm-hmm. bastards. They're mongrels. They destroy habitat, native habitat. They're a menace to the ecology, if you like. So, oh, look, I'll tell anybody mate i get a bloody golf club and i go go whacking with my daughter you know we go toad whacking because they're bastards you know? sure. but uh, but yeah no it's uh, for, for anybody who was um interested in um say um learning and say sh- going shooting do you think that they should go to a rifle range first or a gun uh shooting I'd range first? Course. you should take a course first you know but course definitely like a multiple choice course you know you know, even a field training course, you know, they, you know, you do a lot of hunter safety training courses. I think that's the way to start out. And then that introduces you and shows you the right from wrong. And then, yeah, absolutely start at a range for somebody that knows what they're doing to teach you the right way first instead of the wrong way. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people. They, they never were tra- taught properly. And that's why there's so many issues with guns because you, you start out young, you're going to respect them the right way, you know. You started older, you you lose respect for anything, in my opinion, right? <laughs> I mean, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, no question about that. Yeah, did your family did they introduce you to to guns? Is that how it worked for you? My dad did a little hunt, but my uncle was a big hunter when I was young. Uh, every weekend, he took me my whole life. Every weekend, we hunted every Saturday and Sunday for rabbit and duck and pheasant and everything. And that's how I eventually came into it and started guiding and just stayed right into it. Mm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Mate, I'll make this one thereabouts my last question for you, but um, you've lived a very dynamic life, clearly. When's the autobiography coming out? <laughs> That'd be cool, man. I don't know if it would sell, but it would be cool, man. I mean, 
I do kind of live the dream. I do the hunting and the, the music, and it is a I live a good life, but I couldn't do it without my wife. She supports me, of course. And uh, but yeah, I just it, it it's been an interesting life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope to see you down here. I hope that that tour uh, does happen again. Um, I think we're I think we're going to make it, man. I think we'll be there in April, May next year. I'm pretty sure we're going to be there. We're going to make it happen regardless. And uh, I hope the second time around. Uh, it works out, man. We might try to do something. I don't know. I've been talking to Anthony for a while. We're trying to figure something out how to try to get some promotion down there for three months before it or something. We're, we're trying to figure something out, man. We're, we're, we'll be down there. I mean, more yeah. interviews like this. I need to do more stuff like this. Yeah, that's that's the only comment that I make. I don't know Anthony from a bar of soap. Didn't didn't even know who it was behind the tour or what have you. And um, okay. but um, with a lot of these cottage, uh, I call them cottage, uh, the cottage industry of touring and the like here in Australia. They're not they're not doing the grassroots stuff all of that well, unfortunately. And I'm not naming that at Anthony specifically. I'm yeah. simply saying that, like, I, I this is my hobby, oh, yeah. right? I'm a journalist, but this is my hobby, so I talk to people all the time. So I've got a pretty good read on when people are coming into the country and I reach out or, or they sometimes people reach mm-hmm. out to me, but how easy it is to have a chat with people. Yeah. And I, and I think being able to have a conversation with a lot of the, um, the hobbyists, the people like me, mate, that's really important. It's really important to spread the word that way. Yeah. Um, Cause you, you might get a, you know, you might go on YouTube and it might, the conversations get a couple of thousand watches or what have you. But I think of that, you're going to pick up four or five or six people that are interested and they're going to go to the show as a consequence and they become enthusiastic and then yeah. they tell people. So yeah, from, from their perspective, I hope they do a lot more and they organize these sort of chats for you. Yeah. I, I hope so too, man. I mean, he seems like he's really in it. He seems like a nice guy and, uh, we're excited to work with them come over there i think we'll make it work and uh in the end everything will be good <laughs> yeah indeed yeah well thanks for doing what you're doing uh, i'm a fan um be awesome to see you guys out here so good yeah. luck with everything mate and look forward to that yeah thank you andrew did you pick up our last one at all uh the last um, album called arms oh yeah i i tend to i i've it was my fandom sort of sits just in the nature of things, sort of like the uh, the turn of the century, that sort of thing. But yeah, I've had a couple of listens to it, man. Yeah, nice work. Right. I'm just wondering, where did you, uh, where did you, did you buy? Did you find it? Do you see any of our stuff there from Unique Leader? You know, I'm just asking about the label. Do you see anything? Does it get over there, or is it pretty much just find it yourself and uh, order it when it's you see it? <laughs> pretty much order it when I see it. But whilst I'm talking to you, let me. I know Spotify. Do they do things via? Uh, territories i don't think that they do but yeah, let me just check knew, for I, you i never knew that either i always wondered if it was on the spotify and by you you know or yeah no a call to arms that's where i listen to it it's on um it's on spotify mate i mean that's the you, 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 these days you're on spotify or you excuse the okay. term you can't you're camping you know meaning <laughs> you're just not you know you're not you're not under the you're not you're not really out there getting it out to people and uh mate it's on spotify and it's let me see if it's got the yeah, it's 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 all there. There's no worries whatsoever. Yeah, it's all there. You've got um when I go, I don't as I say, I don't think we do it via territories, but mate, you're pushing a million streams for a burning cinder. That's not bad. You know, so yeah, I always wonder, you know, that label, you know, Victory was like I said, that was one of the that was a real label when we worked with them. And now, you know, Napalm was a good label. Now we're kinda, you know, we worked out good with the unique leader, you know, good advance money there to keep us calm. But I know it's a small kinds of change now with labels for sure. You know, <laughs> I mean, 
But oh, I just definitely. wonder how good he does, you know. I know in Europe it gets over there good. I do a lot of interviews over there, and people said that, you know, that's one of the up-and-coming labels that we that are out there in Europe. So it's kind of nice to hear that, you know. Do you um do you handle all of so if, so if I ordered a t-shirt, for example, from the website, is it you that sends that or have you got a merch label that will do that for you? It'd be the merch label, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. I'm just looking on online now to see how easy it is to get things for you here in Australia, but uh and no, don't do that. I mean, it's also global these days, isn't it? But um, yeah, have you guys got a website? The actual website's gone. I don't gone. even know yeah. uses those anymore, do they? <laughs> Everything's Facebook and Instagram. It's look, it's it's a very interesting point that I could believe me, I could talk about for an hour just on that alone. <laughs> um, because with chat, chat GPT, you probably heard of chat GPT, that's changing everything again, yeah. So that's becoming Google, if you like. Okay. And um, okay. if I look, if I was lazy, I would I could have gone on to ChatGPT, and without knowing anything about you or the band, I would have said, "Hey, ChatGPT, tell me about Dave and Jungle Rot, and develop some questions for an interview that I have tomorrow." And it would come up with twenty questions. Unbelievable. <laughs> the the fact that we're there, but um, yeah, look, I'm, I'm on your your um on Unique Leaders Bandcamp site. It's all there. Yeah, you can buy you can buy a digital album for nine dollars. I want to just check if they can get because merch is the most important thing yeah. in my opinion. Vinyl, vinyl in is vinyl in or vinyl out of stock. Um, it's not giving me a whole heap of information. I've got to be honest. So maybe if I went to Unique Leader, but then vinyl, if I go to your vinyl, so hard. Yeah, are you having troubles getting that printed up? Are you getting yeah, vinyl it's such up? a wait, such a wait, man. It's just. They're never going to catch up. That's still a seven, eight month wait. <laughs> well, you know, Metallica just bought a printing press. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> well, you know um, what the rumor is. The rumor is that all the top bands, you know, that I was always told over the over the years that all them top bands now are making vinyl. Finally, all your hot, you know, your biggest of the biggest, and they're making them by the you know the thousands by the billions, you know, versus an underground label that's only pressing fifteen hundred to two a thousand at a time, you know, and there's no priority, and that's why I've always told they're backed up forever. <laughs> well, well the, you know what the you know this is my understanding of the other issue is that it's the Taylor Swifts and the Katy Perrys of the world. And their their fans don't even own record plays yet. They're releasing vinyl <laughs> and they're they're selling like hundred thousand a hit. Yeah. Have you heard about that? What's going on there? It's no, very I odd. I, I haven't, but it, I believe it. I've been doing the music business for thirty plus years, and I still can't figure it out. <laughs> oh, it's, it was so weird to hear. I, th I think I listen. I could be wrong here, but I think in the last twenty or thirty years, that last Taylor Swift album was the highest selling vinyl in that period. And um, I mean, how many of her nine-year-old fans or whatever age group they are would be yeah. uh, would have? I mean, I've got a vinyl player just just there. You know, you can see it. But of course, I do. That's my vinyl collection there. Um, but I, I'm a old school fan, you know. But these younger people, I mean, what the hell would they have a vinyl need for vinyl for? I don't understand it. It's uh, well, Adele was it? Was it Adele? It was one of them? Anyway, one of those types of. Artists who you and I probably wouldn't listen to unless we were forced to, <laughs> you know. But yeah, you, you got your link tree set up. Do you do all of this? Do you? Do you set up all your link tree stuff on your socials? And yeah, I don't do most. My bass player runs most of that stuff. Yeah, you got old Victory Records, Jungle Rot merch. You got it all happening here, mate. You can't do any more than that, really. You know, you got a European store here. Um, 
And that's very important. Europe is, you know, it's pretty much outside yeah. of the United States is pretty much where it's at. So, yeah, you can, you can, I, I assume that if I wanted to uh, order a call to arms here from Europe, it had come here because God knows I've had to do it before. It's, uh, we tend to get, even though we're nowhere near Europe, we tend to sort of get lumped into that category in Australia. Yeah. So, and you got some pretty cool T-shirts on display here. I would have. I, I tell you what, I, I was really looking forward to getting. I'm a, I'm a T-shirt collector. I don't actually wear them, but I, um, I would have loved one of your T-shirts with the the two dates on the back if they were going to do that. If Anthony was going to do that, oh, yeah. so hopefully that happens for April next year. Yeah, we'll definitely do the tour dates. To this day, they still sell the most every time. People. That's how I grew up. With tour dates, I always picked that one when I went to the show, and it's till to this day the tour dates will always sell more. <laughs> just more yeah. personal you put it together you know oh and it's a, it's a keepsake isn't it that's what it is yeah. you know yeah. um it's some, some it's a it's a memory of the show and you 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 put it in your cupboard or your storage area or what have mm-hmm. you in a couple of years time you're thinking man i'm going to go and watch morbid angel or whatever or whip out my jungle rot t-shirt that i bought back then and i think it's just really cool to sort of show you your loyalties that way i agree man i yeah i it's pretty cool <laughs> Cool, mate. Yeah. Well, I'll let you get back to it, mate. Thanks so much for the chat. I really appreciate it. It's been a great one. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for hitting me up. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll be over there. And hopefully you can make one of the shows. We can hang out and talk some more for sure, man. Absolutely, mate. Look forward to catching a beer with you, mate, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, brother. Old school. Absolutely. Yeah, you too, man. Definitely. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate. Gotcha. There he is, ladies and gents, Dave Matrice from Jungle Rot. Fantastic fella. Enjoyed that one. I enjoy them all. But these legends, these guys that have been around for years, the veterans of the extreme metal scene, they tend to be amongst my favorites. A great chat, that one. So if you like that one, go across to scarsandguitars.com where many more interviews and conversations with luminaries of the world, from the world of hard rock, heavy metal, extreme metal, death metal, you get it. All of those broader subgenres of subversive music. So many conversations await for your listening pleasure. Whilst you're there, click on the link in the banner and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice to download a sample of my book. And if you do like the book and complete the purchase, do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. The book is all about the podcast. It's semi-autobiographical, but it's all focused on the conversations that have taken place with so many great musicians. So that's it from me. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. There's more information about the book coming up. But until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Coal Chamber right now unless I get others involved. 
Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.